Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, sitting in the cockpit of a kind of a newer newer airplane. But I welcome again my co-pilot, my able-bodied co-pilot, Austin Ward, to the, to the cockpit of this sort of a new-look plane. It's kind of done a little bit on an emergency basis, but... Austin, what do you think about this new cockpit? Uh, what are you talking about, my beard? No, I'm uh, talking about where I'm sitting. Where you're sitting is the same old cockpit. Yeah, I understand that that's like an actual flight simulator where you're sitting right now. Yeah, actually, it is. Uh, I had to had to go to my had to go to my what I call my prize possession, my computer, which runs my flight <laughs> simulator, to do this year this week's podcast. May <laughs> may stick with this. May decorate a little bit more in here in my little. Uh, this is my. If there's a man cave, this is my altar room to the man cave. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. I'm, it's it's nice to change things up every now and then. Yeah, and I think your man cave is best defined by, by what's hanging on the wall. And I got a 75 in the other room in the real man cave in here. I've just got my 32-inch monitor. But uh, it's good for seeing those final approaches like into Opelika, you know, or something like that. I mean, uh, but anyway, I digress. Let's get right into it. Uh, you and I are talking Ohio State football because, like I say, when we talk Ohio State football, we're talking national football. We're talking the national football scene. Oh, people understand that, you know, and, uh, you know, we're not talking Wyoming football. Wait a minute. Did I just step on something there? Mm, Dude, I like how that guy, I liked your response to that guy that took you to task on, was it Saturday night when you were rejoicing in the way Josh Allen played a, a great Wyoming alum played against in that third match with uh, New England this year and uh, just stepped to the plate and hit home run after home run, right? Yeah, I, so that that was after I was initially criticized for praising Sam Hubbard. Yeah. And this, uh, the the side of the family that I married into that, that grew up in Columbus has been a lifelong Bengals fan. And I've always been uh, sort of agnostic with NFL teams. I cheered for my fantasy teams, but you know, when you have a, a little one running around and the influence from that mother, this has become a, a Bengals household. So the fact that you have the Bengals, and I'm allowed to support anyone I want, uh, by the way, and it doesn't impact my job at the NFL level, um, and we literally watched Sam Hubbard grow up before our eyes, that's pretty cool to me. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to support those kids uh, wherever they are, but especially when they're in the Bengals and I'm at a watch party to see an NFL team try and break a 30-year streak. Um, and some people are just so angry, Tim. I don't get I know. It. I mean, I know. normally I let that go, but this particular account um, has been doing this for quite some time and I had had a little bit of enough. And then I followed up by that by getting to enjoy uh, one of Wyoming's finest exports, Josh Allen. It was a great Saturday of NFL football. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we're going to see if he's gotten over the hump, man, because getting over the hump means you also got to beat Kansas City eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but wow. I mean, I love watching Sooner Josh rather Allen. than later. Yeah. <laughs> I like watching Josh Allen play, man. I really like it. And, uh, you know, you got to do like me, you know, when Hubbard makes a play, I just tweeted hubba hubba. You know, I didn't get into any kind of like gushing or anything, but 
in my mind, that's gushing because Sam Hubbard's one of my favorite guys I've ever covered at Ohio State. I mean, you know, a guy I would ask for investing advice. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It runs deep there with that guy. And uh, just one of the great fellows we've run into, right? I mean, hubba hubba, I probably would have gotten the same amount of trouble. I yeah, mean, you probably I, would have. Golden God may be a little bit over the top, but also that's kind of the point. Like, I, anyone who follows me knows that the Twitter account is generally for game days supposed to be in good fun. I don't sit around tweeting play-by-play. I think there's plenty of places you can get that. So I like to have a little fun with it and drop gifts for big plays instead of descriptions. On, and that's, I mean, this isn't new. I've been doing it for however long you've known me, Tim, 10 years. Yeah, yeah me too, man. And uh, I want to tell you something too. I never apologize, never apologize for being a sports fan. I am a sports fan. That's why I got into like sports journalism for one of another term, covering teams, et cetera, because I enjoy sports. I think you and I are pretty objective, you know, when it comes to things, when, you know, Ohio State, we're pretty objective about Ohio State, it's pluses and it's minuses. It's really cool to be covering a program, though, that's got a hell of a lot more pluses than minuses. Agreed? As I like to say, I covered Ohio State football from 1984 to uh, 2018 at the Columbus Dispatch, and I said, well, if it had been Indiana football or something, I probably would have covered about seven or eight years and looked for something else to do, right? But uh, it's it's got enough drama it's got enough uh, uh, decent bowl trips because that's what you live for. You know, trips to Iowa City aren't what you live for, right? But, I mean, <laughs> that's why you that's why you like covering Ohio State because most of the time in some in, at some point in a season, it's going to be in the national picture, in the national hunt. But that doesn't mean we don't cover the warts too. And I think you cover the warts about as well as anybody, and uh, I think you agree with me on that, don't you? Yeah, I think that there are times that you and I get similar – criticisms and that we aren't hard enough on Ohio state or critical of them. And I just, it's, it's to me, they're so dwarfed by all the other things that are positive here. And it would be, you know, you'd be going the complete other direction. If you focused on the few things that were going wrong, the defense last year was not good. We've pointed that out. And yet the year before you could see some of the justifications why they didn't make the move. We're going to get into all that a little bit later on. Yeah. Uh, this this team, this program, I've been covering them now over a decade uh, since I got up here from a different situation where there was a lot more to be critical of at Tennessee. They've been in a New Year's Six Bowl game every single season that I've covered them. So how many things could really be wrong? If I spent all that time focusing on the two or three things that you could be critical of all the time, well, 97 of them are positive. That wouldn't make sense to to skew the coverage that direction. And then I know you and I have had have a similar philosophy here. You know, they've won well over 90% of their games since I've been here. So, yeah, I pick Ohio State to win pretty much every game that they play. Yeah. And that means that you and I have a pretty good record of picking winners. Like, that's sort of the way it goes. I, I, it's just, you know, I, I understand that there's, there can be frustration from fans. and They want to win a national championship every year. Um, and other fan bases, as seen by just this one person we're talking about on Saturday, are pretty jealous of it, uh, I think. And that's yep. what fueled a lot of this. Like, we don't, we don't have anything when we cover this team to really be negative about. It wouldn't be fair to do that when they're so wildly successful in the first place. And, and as a teaser, the stuff we were negative about 
pretty heavily negative about this year. The head coach understood that, and you're not going to know until we sit here a year from now whether he took care of business in that regard. But, oh, my goodness, you know, he's made some swings, man. He's chopped at that tree, yeah. to pardon a Greg Schiano uh, uh, philosophy. I'm talking about Ryan Day with getting rid of uh, – getting rid, I think is the right term, three defensive coaches, bringing in three new defensive coaches, including a new coordinator, including a new uh, safeties coach and Perry Aliano from uh, from from uh, Cincinnati. We'll get into whether or not I think he ought to be co- ought to be coaching the corners in a minute, <laughs> since he had pretty good success with that in Cincinnati. And then Tim Walton, basically the defensive backfield coach, but corners coach also, former Ohio State player, uh, guy I covered a long time ago. His dad was a coach. I knew he had coaching in his blood. You know, he's been in the NFL for a long time. Uh, you know, coached in college also was a defensive coordinator in the NFL for a season. You know, uh, uh, Ryan Day has taken a swing at this, knowing he had to get things fixed along with his offensive line, right? I mean, Greg Studrawa has been replaced now by Justin Fry from UCLA, a man with whom Ryan Day has history, a man who has worked uh, for Chip Kelly, who really, if, if Ryan Day has a mentor out there, it is Chip Kelly, not necessarily Urban Meyer, even though he worked for him for two years. I mean, he's more from the Kelly tree than the Meyer tree. Let's put it that way. But, uh, you know, just keep this short in this summation. He has taken his big swing again, right? Yeah, he, you know, he, he did. He recognized the situation and he understood the assignment. And I, this is what sticks to me. And I think I brought this up last week that, yeah. you know, people in the Woody are saying, well, they know that they don't get six more tries to get it right. It's a little bit of a jab back at Harbaugh over his comments and how long he had. Ohio State knows that the situation is very different. Ryan Day knows that after losing that one uh, in November in the big house, if that happened again in the horseshoe, well, the whole thing for him might collapse upon itself. And he doesn't get a bunch of mulligans because the standard at Ohio State right now is simply so much higher than it is at Michigan. And, you know, he he could have gone either way with Greg Studrawa three years ago. And he kind of wrestled with that one before electing for that continuity. But you saw the things mounting over the last couple of years. They were concerned in 2020 about the interior pass pressure, which when you had Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, it was hard to understand why that would really be a weakness considering how talented those two are. And then they worked to address that with the tackles and then the, the short yards and red zone situation didn't work. All right, well, that was sort of the straw that broke that back. You're, you're looking at you know linebacker production and overall scheme and matching what, he, what Ryan Day wanted. You know That wasn't working out. And Kerry Combs was going to have to take a step back um, to a position, you know, position coach and a pay cut uh, as his contract expired at the end of the month. So that was a situation, again, that could have gone either way, but this was more Kerry Combs leaving. And so that meant, all right, we'll focus on this plan, which is two secondary coaches, Jim Knowles running that show, and then uh, feel comfortable from there. But that's pretty, pretty sizable. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have meant, maybe thought because Matt Barnes got another job as well. Um, you know, Al Washington was encouraged to see what his options were, but you're not looking heading into year four to be replacing four spots on your staff. But Ryan Day didn't just say, hey, the other part that I mentioned, they won 11 games in the Rose Bowl. Uh, they were young and inexperienced. Maybe next year they can be better. He, he didn't take that approach, which yeah. would have been easy for him to do. No, he took the more aggressive approach, and we'll see how these hires all work out. But, I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial for someone heading into year four to be remaking that amount uh, 
that, that number of spots on the coaching staff. You know what, uh, with that in mind, I want to get to my uh, my guest this week. He's been on a couple of times before. But he's one of my favorite people. And uh, uh, Jake Ballard, former Ohio State tight end, former NFL tight end, uh, was part of a Super Bowl winning team with the New York Giants. Gave up one of his knees for football, so, so to speak. But, uh, you know, he and I are on a tailgate show every week uh, during the season on 97.1 The Fan. And, you know, I've really come to respect his observations about football because he was – he was down in there. He was that glorified tackle, you know, at Ohio State, the tight end. And uh, he understands offensive line play. And I wanted to get pick his brain a little bit on what what could change, what 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 could Ryan Day really be seeking uh, to change on that offensive front that could make it that powerful, you know, run, power running game like he wants to augment this ridiculous passing game. You know, like you just touched on a second ago, and we'll come back and talk about this after uh, Jake is done, this team led the nation in total offense this year, but Ryan Day wants more. He knows in certain situations it was not anywhere near as good as it needed to be running the ball against teams that knew it was going to run the ball against defenses that had a that took away their run game. That You know that just rubbed as a game even is going on. Ryan is going, going I got to fix this. I got to fix this. The way, one of the ways you fix it, is maybe get a little bit of a different approach from the offensive line. But, you know, let's get to my uh, a little uh, interview here with Jake Ballard. We talk a little bit about deer hunting too, man. If you'll notice, he's dressed in camouflage for this. But uh, <laughs> he's, gotten, uh, he's gotten a few uh, pelts uh, for his belt this, this year in the, in the deer hunting uh, realm, including bow hunting, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but let's get to my conversation with him, and then you and I will come back uh, and really chop it up. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, I want to – jump a little bit deeper into this uh, into these coaching changes, but not the defensive side, you know. I mean, the fact that I covered Tim Walton as a player and that uh, Eliano's from a from the same neck of the woods I'm from, te- East Texas, or, well, Colleen, Texas, but he played at Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas, right just north of Lufkin. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that for another day. But uh, I wanted to bring in my good buddy, Jake Ballard. We have become good buddies, haven't we, Jake Ballard? Absolutely. I mean, the man, owes me some, the man owes me some venison jerky, so uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, we've just been making the golf rounds this past summer and looking forward to a, a bright, long golf season 2022. I do yep. owe you some uh, deer jerky. I'd Like I told you the other day, my mom got me a dehydrator for Christmas, so we'll have plenty to go around. Yeah, well, I'm feeling a little bit. I'm feeling a little dehydrated here, so that would that would come in handy. Uh, <laughs> but I want to get you week, in here to long weekend, huh? Yeah, Just from a oh, long yeah. weekend. Yeah, not like the old days, man. It's not like you. Every <laughs> time I look up, you're at another in-laws' house or something celebrating Christmas, or uh, I'm not sure what you guys were celebrating this past weekend, but uh, the celebrations just continue at the Ballard place, right? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, we have a lot of Christmases to go to, and this one got pushed back due to lots of COVID sickness and people. Not when you get the elderly sick. So eventually we finally got the last one knocked out of the way this past weekend. I gotcha. Well, good, well, good for you, man. Uh, hope you got many, hope you really got many of the gifts you really saw, you know, and uh, we're going to get to you sitting up in a deer blind with a bow and arrow in a moment, but I wanted to get into, because <laughs> to me, that's as interesting as anything else we're going to talk about. Uh, but to Ohio State fans, they want to know, wait a minute, Ohio State led led the nation in total offense this year. C.J. Stroud, you know, obviously a Heisman finalist. Three, uh, two receivers jumped over 1,000 yards. One had uh, two of the greatest games 
in Ohio State receiving history, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, with two 15 catch games, one of which was in the Rose Bowl, where he set a full record for uh, for receiving yards, et cetera. Half of that was Jack, you know. But uh, what I'm getting to here is Ryan Day. Throughout the year, you heard that Ryan Day uh, was probably was probably ready to part ways with Greg Studrow, the the longtime offensive line coach. I think if you've been someplace six or seven years, you'd call that long time anymore in this age. But, uh, you know, let's just get right into it, Jake. You and I did that uh, tailgate show, you know, for, what, three years now running. Uh, we talk about a lot of things. I really trust your football knowledge as much as anything else. But what is Ryan Day, what is he seeking on that offensive line from a coaching standpoint that could be different uh, with Justin Fry? coming in from UCLA. What do, what do you see that could be different or what he might be uh, uh, after there? Well, it's it's kind of interesting to finally see a staff um, from Ryan Day that's all his own. You know, we're finally to a point, both sides of the ball, they're all his hand-picked guys for the most part besides Larry Johnson, but he'd be on anybody's staff, <laughs> no yeah. matter what coaching change. But I think Ryan's just really looking forward or not looking forward, but looking for the days of having just a dominant offensive line and being able to run the ball when it's called upon and needed. I mean, the imbalance between the passing game and the running game this year was very obvious, but it shouldn't have been. With, with the caliber of line that we did have and have coming back and obviously our running back situation with, you know, Maya Williams and Travion Henderson, in my opinion, two of the best backs – in the country, I am biased, um, but the the sea, the, I mean, the sky's the limit for those two guys. Yeah. So the fact that when it when it, the games were on the line in Michigan specifically, because that's the most glaring loss of all Buckeye fans this year, you know, our line got dominated and we couldn't really move the ball on the ground um, when we would need it to. You know, their pass rush was very apparent and got to cj and affected the game and we couldn't run the ball to try and slow those guys down um a lot of times throughout the year we just were doing you know inside zone outside zones um jets trying to stretch the edge but there really wasn't a up the gut there was no power really no counters and i think that's what justin fry is going to be bringing to the table yeah you know, and when we say that, we're talking about against credible defenses because obviously there were a couple of games where they just ran all over some people. You know what I mean? But right. we're talking about the games you got to win to to win a Big Ten championship and a national exactly. championship, right? Well, yeah, I don't, you, I don't, yeah, I don't care what Trevion Henderson runs um, on Tulsa. You know, it kills them when we needed to dial up some runs to attack the line of scrimmage and move the line of scrimmage with our line. It seems like we couldn't do that very well um, against the team up north. As you think back on it, because, you know, I'm hitting you sideways with a couple of these questions, but uh, what was it defensively that you think gave this offensive line problems when it came to running the ball? I mean, you and I sat there and we talked about this. I mean, to me, uh, watching it, it was like a lot of a lot of teams when they would slant and angle a little bit and just kind of or switch mm-hmm. just before the snap, you know, jump just before the snap, things like that, or not attack like you thought they were going to uh, really seem to give this, uh, I don't know, seem to give this offensive line pause on occasion. I mean, is it that simple? I mean, just what did you see? Because obviously Utah had it going on there for a while in the Rose Bowl. But when you throw for 600-something yards, you know, you're, you're really giving up a lot just to stop the run. But go ahead, Dan. 
Well, yeah, and against Utah, we didn't give up one sack. So it's yeah. it was pretty crazy. You know, the guys on the roster can do it. Um, why they didn't do it against Michigan, I Michigan, I think, was the better prepared team. They were hungrier. They were, unfortunately, tougher. Like, we've heard all these quotes from Michigan's coaches and Steel Chambers and all those guys, and it was just the truth. Um, what was causing them fits? Two outstanding edge guys who might both be first-rounders. Um, some super solid linebackers hitting the gaps and, you know, getting off blocks and a little bit of moving from the inside, but we just were, it just seemed like overwhelmingly we were out the physicality. We were outmatched or just did not decided to turn it on. I mean, I've been watching, you know, I've been watching these guys, O-Lyman, Ohio state for years. They're tough. They're strong yeah. guys, athletic. They can, could dominate that game. We didn't. Um, for whatever reason, I think we've named a plethora of them. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, what seemed to give them fits, too, against Michigan, for example, was Michigan just – and a couple other teams did this, too – lined their defensive ends well off the line. I mean, meaning a gap of sometimes three, four yards, maybe maybe bigger than that. It just took running – just ran right at the the offensive tackles and stuff. And, uh, you know, we all know the, the infamous uh, – video of uh, Aiden Hutchinson knocking uh, uh, Thayer Munford backwards on that one play. But, you know, that was kind of like one out out of many. But it it was a little bit of an example of a a shock and all kind of like situation with Michigan's defensive line against Ohio State's. So let me ask you this, just from a scheme standpoint, what can Justin Fry fix there besides saying play harder? You know what I mean? What what can you fix there? Because one of the things that uh, bothered me when I watched Ohio State's offensive line against credible defenses was – was their inability sometimes to get to the second level, to get kind of tangled up in their, in their double-team blocking schemes and things like that. And, and a, a linebacker, like you said, sometimes he wasn't even fighting off a block. He wasn't – there wasn't anybody there to block him. I mean, especially on that third and one, you know, that first uh, possession against Michigan in the second half, the linebacker just shot the gap like, uh, like, like the defensive line had blocked him open a hole, you know what I mean, which is right. what you hate to see with your offensive line. But – you know what? What can you kind of change there when you're when you're a zone pretty a zone heavy team? You run a lot of RPO. What can you change to get your offensive linemen still more aggressive on those runs? I mean, you know what I mean. I, that's a lot of things at once. I'm sorry, man. No, you're good. I mean, I think it. You know, I didn't. I don't know Greg uh, Studra. I can't even say. Studra. Yeah. Studra. I've never been around him. I don't know like what they're teaching them in the meetings and stuff, but it just seems like with ours very zone heavy and RPOs, it was very almost like position blocking, yeah. you know, cut this guy off, not be the, be the attack, be the point of the attack. Let's move the front. Yeah. It's like we were always not, I don't want to say catching, but sometimes kind of catching and just getting in between guys and moving the line with the zone plays where Justin Fry, you know, at UCLA, he came in and 18, he took their, our, our, yards per game rushing from one I think it was 175 or 150 sorry 158 I think to about 215 in, in 2021 season yeah. um, which is a huge improvement and I think they did it by doing like I said getting into the power game you're pulling the backside guard having a tight end maybe two tight ends in there to try and run downhill and then doing some misdirections with the counters whether it's a guard center counter or tackle guard tackled or guard counters and I think for running backs that can be downhill runners, a.k.a. 
I think Travion Henderson can do it, but I'm more talking about Mayan Williams. You know, yeah. Mayan Williams is a power back who should have that in his bag or not. It's not his fault. The power should be in the offensive bag for him specifically. Yeah. Talking to a guy who I, when I came to Ohio state, they set me down and said, Hey, we need you to block 46, 47 power. And you'll get on the field a lot as a true freshman. And I did. And that's what you know kind of got me the playing time. But with those type with him, I just think we're leaving a lot of yards on the field. And from Justin Fry's standpoint, I think getting that, changing that mindset of being an attacker and certain working on drills and expectations can help change that. You know, you'd be worried if you didn't have the guys in the room. The guys are in the room that can get the job done. So it's just all about implementing his scheme, his expectations, and all of that into these offensive linemen at Ohio State. When they said they, you know, if you could get block 46, 47, man, now you can get yourself on the field. Did you say, wait a minute, what about these? What about these? Right. That should have, <laughs> looking back, that should have been a red flag. I'm like, wait, uh, am I not going to catch the ball very much? Just uh, yeah. Well, what are you talking about? I'm a tight end. I'm not a tight tackle. Right. Anyway, I guess, you know, anyway, we, we've, we've talked about that before on the podcast. We'll talk about it many more times. Uh, uh, how you get uh, short shrifted sometimes just when you think you you've gotten you've landed in dreamland I want to ask right. you this though uh uh does it help that Justin Fry has worked with Ryan Day before you know a couple other places and number two you know everybody associates Ryan Day with Urban Meyer you know he worked with Urban Meyer for what two years uh before yeah. becoming the head coach you know, he played under Chip Kelly as the offensive coordinator at New Hampshire, uh, worked under him uh, a couple of places in the NFL, et cetera. Uh, does it help that Justin Fry is coming in sort of, you know, coming in, having coached under Chip Kelly and kind of like is thinking the same kind of thoughts? You know, if, I mean, because obviously Greg Studrava grew up in another kind of offensive way. And, I, and, uh, and it's not knocking Greg Studrava. He won a national championship at LSU with that offensive line, et cetera, you know, way back when. Uh, you remember that game, right? No, yes, I do. Yeah. I didn't mean to bring that up, man. You just, shot, <laughs> you just shot yourself in the foot with your bow and arrow, didn't you? Hey, uh, but, uh, but does it help that, that, that they're like-minded? You know, I mean, Justin Fry gets it. You know, when Ryan Day says, I want to get this done, Justin Fry understands the language he's talking. You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, but I it's like um, you know, I've ever obviously never been in coaching, never yeah. been around in the back means of college coachings, but I would assume after being around love football at every level, that it's kind of like your teammates, you know what to expect, you know what they're expecting, and the kind of mindset. So, you know, their relationship goes <clears throat> way back. And I'm sure you know, Ryan seeks him out before they announce the parting ways with the O-line coach and told him the expectation and probably told him what they're looking to improve on. And he knows what he can bring to the table. That's why he was sought after. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a better hire than finding somebody who's never worked under Ryan. I would, in my opinion, because it's kind of unknown except for what you see in the resume or just from the game film. But, you know, now Ryan knows how he conducts himself at practice, knows how he talks to players and um, sees a lot of value in that where he wouldn't have brought him in. <laughs> You know, uh, when Ryan Day took over in 2019, after the Rose Bowl 2018, major change on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, brought in two guys from Michigan, brought in Jeff Halfley. 
the defense got fixed right away, you know, because 2018 was not, <laughs> that was, that was not a great defense either. They played three quarters of pretty good defense in the Rose Bowl and almost blew that, you know, against Washington. Uh, uh, he's taking the same swing at this tree, man, with his, with his ax, uh, bringing in Jim Knowles, a new defensive coordinator. And of course, uh, uh, Tim Walton, uh, Perry Eliano, a guy from, uh, uh, from Cincinnati, but uh, has right. been around the block many times on uh, coaching wise. Heck, he even played at Stephen F. Austin State University uh, north of Lufkin in Nacogdoches, Texas. So I'm, you know, he knows where I'm from. He may not know that I know where he's from, but uh, yet, but uh, but then Tim Tim Walton, who's been in the NFL, was a coordinator in the NFL at one point, uh, was coaching with Urban Meyer and his staff. But my point is, what does this tell you about Ryan Day that he's willing to make? Not willing. I mean, he, yeah, willing is the right word. That he made these kind of sweeping changes to his coaching staff to address, in essence, the elephant in the room, which was push come to shove. There were times they couldn't stop people, and then push come to shove. There were times they couldn't run the ball down people's throats. What does that just tell you about his makeup as a head coach? Well, I think it 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 tells me he obviously self evaluates, right? Yeah. There's their strengths and a lot of coaches don't do that. I think that's what separates like mediocre coaches from great ones. And he's not going to give his coaches and friends passes just because they are that, you know, he expects them to do their best job to put them in a situation to win. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in 2020, they talked about all everything they needed to fix. And he probably didn't, you know, he kept them all on. And he expected that to be fixed and it wasn't. And he had to make tough decision to, to put the university and the, not university, the team in a better situation to win. And that's, that's hard decision, but it tells me that shows me it's a great leader. Cause he, he wants to be, put a better team on the pro, on the field, a better product. Cause he knows if he wants to start winning some national championships, our defense needs to be even like 50% better. Not, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. That's all it takes, better. man. <laughs> it, just a fret mar, marginalized, percent better and we will have chances and um it's just so crazy how the world can turn you know a couple of years ago Al, they're talking about Al washington you know tennessee and yeah. all that stuff i wish him the best i think he will do good i think he's probably better fit for a d-line job um and he's over there with marcus Freeman now so that's exciting for him but i'm i'm really pumped to get these new guys in here you know ellis um Perry, no, Perry yeah, Eliano. Yeah. Eli Perry Eliano, coach Kobe Bryant, you see, uh, the yeah. Thorpe winner is sauce. Gardner was the first team, all American down there. They had two, you know, two of the best DBs in the country. So he's bringing a lot of knowledge. Walton, um, Jalen Ramsey had the highest praise. He said he's might be his best DB coach he's ever had and great human. And he really tried to get to understand the players. There's a reason why, you know, urban kept him on because he obviously knew what he could bring to the table. Yeah, and just Jim having Jim Knowles be the D coordinator and the linebacker coach. In my opinion, the linebackers where we need the most improvement. You know, people could argue the you know the secondary or linebackers, but in my opinion, the secondary. You know, there's a lot of young guys who didn't have very much experience. So, yeah. um, but the linebacker, I think, is where I'm looking forward to seeing his fingerprints the most. Yeah, you know, and. There's, there's two ways you can coach. You can either play catch-up or you can make the other team be playing catch-up. And the way Jim Knowles goes about designing things, et cetera, you know, you, you, want the, you want that other 
you want that offensive staff on the other side scribbling throughout the game. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wait a minute. Right. They jumped into this, you know, blah, blah, you know what I mean? I mean, that that's the kind of feel I have about what he's bringing to the table. You've watched him, you know, you've watched Oklahoma State a little bit and stuff. I mean, they did get to that uh, level, didn't they? Do you agree? I mean, obviously the Baylor game didn't start out like uh, Oklahoma State wanted to in the, in the uh, Big 12 championship game, but they finally got, did get their act together in that game. But what, just what's, What's your what's your feel for what he brings more than anything else? I mean, is it that unpredictability or is it the the aggressive part of it? Maybe it's a combo, right? I, I think it's a combo. And like we've talked about on the tailgate show for three years, Ryan's ability to make adjustments throughout the game faster than most college coaches. You know, a lot of college coaches will wait until halftime, wait till the end of the quarter. It seems like Ryan's making them after every series and that's yeah. the NFL mindset that he brought to college not saying it's not earth shattering but some college coaches didn't do that yeah. they don't do that um and I think that's what Jim Mills brings with you know him he's gonna he's like well we'll do this all right they figured that out we'll adjust to this you know what I mean and he's also going to come after you so yeah let me interrupt you but that's what Halfley Jeff Halfley brought remember in 2019 exactly. and that's what the same dynamic why, go ahead though. yeah well, and that's why Halfley took our defense in 2018, which was eerily similar to our defense this year. Yeah. And then we made us back into a top two or three defense in the yeah. country. And then we lost it again. Now, you could argue in 2019, we had studs in the backfield. I mean, second defense, we had some first round, a lot of first round draft picks and one guy on the line, number uh, two named Chase Young. Yeah. But, you know, and four linebackers who had three or four years experience. Anyway. But that's what I, I'm not – I'm keeping my hopes real, realistic. I'm not expecting us to jump and to be the not top uh, defense in the country, but I do expect to see a nine-day difference in um, the product they put on the field and just the assignments and uh, how the, the guys are playing. Let me ask you this uh, real quick before we move into you sitting in a uh, deer blind waiting for that deer to wander in. Well, you've probably sprinkled all kinds of corn and stuff out there to make <laughs> it seem like, hey, this is this is a buffet, uh, which my big brother used to do down in near Lano, Lano River in, in Midwest Texas. Uh, but I'm, I'm really jumping the gun on that conversation. Uh, what Jim Knowles did with that with that Leo position in the in the Big Twelve, I mean, uh, with that stand up, basically a stand up defensive end, defensive lineman, really who kind of moves around. Um, um, you, you, you used to line up in the, in the, in major college football and, and in the NFL with the Super Bowl champion team. Um, how much is that going to be fuddle or going to give offensive lines pause about what's up almost from one play to the next, or almost from one, um, from one second to the next, or where's this guy finally going to settle in? Is he going to be in the A gap? Is he going to be in the C gap? Is he even going to be, is he going to drop into coverage, zone coverage, which they did a lot with that guy and rushed another guy around the other right. side? It's almost like watching a – it's almost like, to me, it's, instead of a 4 2 five, it's like watching a, a three. It's, it's almost like watching a 3-3-5, three, three, yep. you know what I mean? Kind of a bastardized uh, three, three-man three front, you know what I mean? But yep. uh, how much will that work, do you think, in the Big Ten? I mean, or, or, or I guess more of the question is, you don't necessarily know that yet, but – how does that befuddle an offensive line or does it? Well, I mean, the reason they do it, you know, it's if you have a guy standing up, he can obviously have a lot more options of where he's going to go or what he's going to do. Obviously, if your hand's in the dirt, 
it's a lot harder to change directions and get going, especially if you're trying to, the Dean's trying to fire up the ball towards the tight end or tackle. So that, I mean, they have them up so you can have a plethora of options depending on the play they call. Um, how it will work in the Big Ten, I think it'll be fine. I mean, it kind of reminds me back to my senior year when we had Thaddeus Gibson was that guy. Yeah. You know, Thaddeus Gibson was the Leo. Um, we had Cam Hayward as the other end. You know, it's basically, like you said, it's not a three. I don't, I don't want to say a three, three, five, but it's kind of like a three, four setup a lot yeah. of the time. Sometimes if Cam, if uh, Thaddeus had to drop or drop in the flat, but a lot of times we were bringing a Thad because he didn't really remember all the plays, but a heck of an athlete, <laughs> a great couple of years. Yeah. But I think it'll be fine um, in the Big Ten, to be honest. And I think that's what keeps offenses on their toes, because like you said, he could move around. They could bring a backside safety or a backside linebacker. He could drop. He could twist. And um, that hybrid DN spot where, you know, this year we had the bullet, right, which is kind of the hybrid linebacker safety. Yeah. Now we have Leo coming in, the hybrid linebacker D-line. So. Yeah. Uh, they have guys on that roster who fit that type right now. So it'll be interesting to see who, who will be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes you want to throw, you want to show people you can do that or you were, you're willing to do that just so they have to game plan. Right. I mean, just, just so it has to mess with their mind a little bit, even though they may line up in a four guys with their hand in the dirt more often than not. But I mean, more often than not, now you see a lot of defenses, even Ohio state, with guys standing up, you know, I mean, uh, you might have two guys with their hand in the dirt, sometimes three, but uh, keep them guessing is sort of the name of the game now, isn't it? Because of the rules. <laughs> oh yeah. No question. I mean, I just like, I haven't watched enough film on Oklahoma state. So um, I'm just excited to see the transition of this defense. Speaking of transitions, here's a segue. You're wearing camo. I appreciate that this morning. I barely, saw you there when you came on camera and stuff how many deer did you end up getting during deer hunting season uh or is it still going on by the way it, it is still going on it goes until february 5th i've gotten four deer this year um three with rifle and one just one with my bow so yeah. far yeah man you could have survived man back in the old days you know when you had to build log <laughs> cabins by hand and uh, during the summer and then hunt for poor little deer looking for something to eat in the middle of the winter, man, you would have survived big time with that bow and arrow thing. I mean, uh, I was impressed because you sent me a, a, a photo from the, from the deer blind uh, the other day, you were sitting up there, uh, your boots were hanging out and stuff. You had that compound bow. I mean, how many yeah. pulleys are on that thing, man? Oh, there's, uh, I, there's at least, I'm pretty sure there's at least, Two, two yeah. big pulls on. But the, the pullback on that is what I mean. That that helps on the pullback, obviously, and stuff. But uh, mine said it's seventy pounds. Oh uh, wow! So yeah. I mean, that's pretty normal. Some people go lighter, depending. So the longer you, the more pounds on your bow, the pullback, the faster. Obviously, the arrow comes off, and also the bigger the bow, the faster. So the bigger the drawback. So my yeah. drawback's pretty long too. So my bows are coming out pretty hard and fast compared yeah. to somebody else yeah. so i can take uh, eventually take longer shots and feel comfortable with you know taking them and knowing it it'll be effective on the deer yeah. i was gonna say it gives you velocity and more range yeah. more velocity and more range which uh right. obviously adds up that's what flying an airplane's all about or a, a yeah. rocket uh well, i want to ask you this 
when you're sitting there in the blind all day, because you, how many tags did you end up with this? Do you still have a couple of tags left or how many tags yeah. you end up with? I have, so you're allowed to take uh, six deer in the state of Ohio per year and each county is different. So some counties are two deers or three deers or four deers. So once you get that max in that county, you can't hunt in that county again. Gotcha. No more than six. So I have two more and you're only allowed to have one uh, antler, one buck a year. And I haven't got one yet. So yeah, I might be searching, but I'm not just going to take down any, any little guy. I want to make sure they grow up to be big, good looking bucks someday. Yeah, before you, before you whack somebody's daddy or granddaddy. Uh, but it is funny because where you live, you have access to, you can be in three or four different counties pretty quickly, right? I mean, uh, you're kind of in a corner up there. Uh, so uh, let me ask you this though, you know, people don't understand why, why so many does and not, and not antlered, but, uh, uh, but that's how you kind of like control the population, right? Is by taking out does. I mean, that's, is that, do I have that right? Or. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the, the reason there's so many does because there's a lot, a lot bigger population of doe than ducks yeah. and they want a population control, but at the same time, they know it'll keep replenishing. Cause when, when rut happens and there it's mating season, you know, the, the, the bucks are extremely outnumbered. So they just are having a good time going from one doe to the other one. Yeah. Getting, you know, doing the, doing the dirty, um, but that's you know part of it and it, a lot of people don't realize the population of deer in ohio have grown tremendously since like the 60s like if you ask people who grew up in the 60s or 70s they'd say they barely saw deer yeah. and on record it looked like there's only about 15 to twenty thousand deer back then well right now in ohio they're estimating the population is seven hundred thousand or more wow. so i mean it's it's come a long way and they're every year that number is getting bigger and bigger yeah before they started building houses next door to me, you know, we've lived out where we are, my wife and I here west of Hilliard, uh, just west of Hilliard in Western Franklin County, there used to be a herd of deer that would go down our fence line. Uh, we have like four and a half acres out here, a couple of horses, three horses, but they'd go down our fence line every night, man, just going yeah. from the woods on one side of the road to woods on the other side and stuff. And now, yeah. of course, they're building houses. I once joked with my brother who had a deer lease out on the Lano River out there, uh, in Midwest Texas, he would, uh, he paid money in his buddies to have this deer lease that they had to keep up and stuff. But, uh, I told him you could come sit on my front porch and get whatever deer you wanted, man, instead of right. you know, <laughs> paying what probably a thousand or more dollars a year to, to make sure you kept, kept corn in the feeder and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what's right. it like though? Um, uh, Jake, I'm not a big hunter as you well know. I mean, I don't take it away from anybody, but, uh, and I'm not making fun, but what is it like? What is the difference between uh, bringing down a deer with a rifle or a? Are you allowed to uh, hunt with shotgun in Ohio? You are, aren't you? Yeah, you are. So in Ohio, it's just you can. There's certain calibers you can use, and they can't be. Um, they have to be a straight wall cartridge, so it can't be like a shoulder cartridge, which is like an AR cartridge, where it's skinnier on the top, gets fat on the bottom. Gotcha. Because those are those are what you call supersonic rounds, so those yep. go faster, and you can shoot way further so it's yeah. you know it's not a free season on deer you know gun season's only a week and then two weekend and an extra weekend so it's really only nine days um but the difference between them is just the further out you can get further out shots you know bow i'd say no wait, don't wait let me interrupt you that's what i wanted to ask yeah. you i mean obviously you you are uh uh efficient uh proficient with with a with a with a rifle hunting with a bow is a total different dynamic, isn't it? I mean, uh, just, 
do you feel like you're more, I don't know, that the deer's got more of a chance? I mean, what, I don't know, you know, because you're an oh, athletic yeah. guy. You know, you've been playing sports. All year. Just what's your take on that? So the deer have a much better chance versus a bow, no question, because – you know, realistically, good most shot, most of your shots on a deer are going to be within 40 yards, probably 20 to 40 yards. But then you're also up in a tree stand, so they have to be, you know, there's going to be limbs in the way. There's going to only be a certain amount of shooting windows to be able to pull it off. So they got to go in the right spot. You got to be patient. And deer's eyes are very sensitive to movement. If it's a bright, if it's light out and they see you, they could see your eyes blink, but they don't know. They can see the, the movement, but they don't know that it's, a, you know, you, the predator. Yeah. They just can see any slight movements from far away. Yeah. And with a rifle, you're not really moving a lot to set up. With a bow, you got to pull the string back, and then you got to get them in the sights. So it's a better chance for them. And, yeah. you know, you can't, you know, my longest shot this year at a deer is about 120, 125 yards. I can't, that's impossible. You know, bows, you're not taking that shot. It has to be well within 50 60 yards max yeah. to even try to attempt that when you got that deer the other day uh sitting up uh, what was that what shot was that how long was that that was probably 45 yards yeah do you, do you actually pace it off just kind of know hey you know this is this is what i did i mean i felt really good yeah. with this with this range i mean how do, how do you how do you judge yourself in those kind of deals when you go back and replay it <laughs> well, I've shot a, I shot a lot with my bow at targets, just make sure I sighted in my 20, 30, and 40. And then when you're in the stand, I have a range, I use my golf range finder and I pick landmarks. So I, you know, trees around there. All right. I know that tree's 35 yards. I know that tree's 45 yards. And then you go, you go around your 360 of where you can find shots. So yeah. then when the deer do walk in, you find them to the landmark and you just kind of have to guess real quick, unless you do have time to shoot it. Um, which sometimes you do the other day I did not, um, there's a pack of them that were looking at me and every time I do a sudden movement, they, their heads would come up and stare at me and I'd hide behind the tree. Cause I was on the actually other side of the tree. They were behind my tree stand. Gotcha. No, yeah. So your heart's, yeah, your heart's beating like crazy. And it's, it's a, it's a fun time. And I enjoy deer meat. My whole family does and nothing goes to waste. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my deer jerky. By the way, I used to go get firewood down in uh, southeast Ohio, southeastern Ohio, and uh, I'm trying to think of the little town I went to. But I remember I used to stop for like, you know, you'd have to load your own firewood from this mill down there. Uh, Laurelville, I think, is the area it was in. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, but I never forget, I, there was this store I'd always stop at on the way back. And they always had this sign during deer season. That's when I would be down there. You know, it said no bloody money. <laughs> no, they, they didn't want some guy who just filled the rest of deer coming in there and slapping down a you know five or twenty dollar bill with deer blood on it. I mean, it is you know, and you do have to field dress, et cetera. It's an interesting part of the game, right? Uh, oh, it, it is. And if you've never done it, you don't know how you'll be in that moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a uh, pretty humbling experience. Definitely teaches you survivor skills. Um and, you know, I know some people are against hunting. And I understand, you know, I'm a huge animal guy. I, I love animals, love watching deer out in their habitat, but I also like, I, I enjoy eating the meat. So I guess what's the difference between somebody going to McDonald's and ordering a cheeseburger and they didn't have any part in actually taking down the cow no. and just actually being the guy who takes down the deer to eat. Yeah. 
Well, like I say, people in New York City, you know, they're big adventure. Uh, uh, I always say, you know, they have a lot of people there have no clue about they go down to the corner store. What, there are no grapes in here today? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, right. that, that's their big, uh, you know, right. they, a lot of people don't understand where stuff comes from, I guess, is, uh, right. is the point making there. Uh, by the way, you ought to just get permission to hunt on the medallion. You remember medallion uh, <laughs> club. You ought to get permission just to hunt there. Remember when we're playing there? You had me as a guest and me and Paul Spawn and uh, we're playing and we look over at John Kasich's uh, front yard there and there, there's deer yep. eating on his front yard, eating his flowers, I think, that one day. I mean, yeah, you'll just let them uh, let you control the population there. You'd have plenty of deer meat, man. Well, funny, funny story is there is 70 or 80 deer living on property in Medallia. Now, that's all fine and good, but they cause a lot of damage to the course. Oh, and yeah. And the course has to pay for it. So a couple of years ago, they called the Ohio Wildlife and told them about the prop, you know, the problem. So Ohio Wildlife sent some guys in there who had permission to take down these deers out of season. Um and they did. They took about 12 of them out of there. And people who were living in Medallion got really upset and like came, supposedly came to the clubhouse armed to try and get these guys to stop taking out deer. Armed. Armed. That's what I heard. That's what the, the wow. club the head of membership told me. Wow. So now they're actively working. Cause I called them the other day. I'm like, hey, are we, can I hunt on property? And he laughed. And I was like, I get the optics. Me covered in camouflage dragging a deer carcass through a neighborhood probably not the best and he was laughing but he's like no actually we're working with medallion hoa to try and division of wildlife to figure out when we can take some of these deer out and he's like so i can add you to the list i'm like there's a list he's like yeah we have you're the fifth member who wants to help take them down <laughs> oh man that's that's good I, I knew that would lead to a nice anecdote Hey, uh, Jake, I appreciate you being on the Tim May podcast again, my man. I wanted to ask one last thing before we get out of here, back to football. Do you, like you said a while ago, I think it's a sign of intelligence and a sign of, uh, of maturity that a head coach realizes this isn't working. You know, I think if, if Ryan Day could have made those changes the second, third week of the year, because, you know, you kind of gave Kerry Combs and that group, you know, 2020 was not a referendum year. You know what I mean? I mean, with everything right. that went on, shortened season, everything was hyphenated in that year, abbreviated, whatever aided you want to throw in there, um, conjugated finally against Alabama. But uh, but it gave him that, you know, you could tell, you could tell his he was very upset with the way things went down in those first two games, right? Against uh Minnesota and Oregon. Uh I don't know what, what marks you give him, like you said, for stepping up and making these changes. I mean, cause he knows <laughs> ultimately it's his butt on the line too. Right. I mean, uh, he understands that. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. Those aren't easy situations. And another, other coaches might've just said after two games, like, all right, well, we'll keep the guy, same guys in place. They'll figure it out. It's growing pains too, but Ohio state, you don't have time for that. Yeah. And he understood that. And he called on Matt Barnes and Matt Barnes got handed a real raw deal. In my opinion, like, Hey, you're now the defensive coordinator and he didn't have a whole off season or spring ball to install what he, you know, his, his game plan and his schemes and what he expects from his players. And I think, I honestly think he did a heck of a job for what the situation at hand. Agreed. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, for, 
coach day to look, you know, at the first two games and make a tough decision, especially with Kerry Combs, who is a great man, great mentor, great coach, Ohio State, Ohio guy through and through. And to make that difficult decision shows you where his, um, I think, where his priorities are at. Huh? Prior, feelings yep. and priorities are at. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Matt Barnes uh, landed on his feet and became defensive coordinator at University of Memphis, uh, uh, aka Memphis State. And uh, you think that's a that's a good move for him too, isn't it? I mean, I think he, I think he's a sharp guy. I mean, I I told people he kind of reminded me of Belichick, and everybody I said he, I didn't say he was the next Belichick, but he kind of reminds me of Belichick and the way he kind of goes about his business, kind of like, uh, you know, isn't a real, uh, he can have a conversation with you on an intelligent level, but he's not really big on small talk for the most part. You know, he just, I just liked how matter of fact he was about a lot of things or how he really didn't tell you a whole lot, you know, I mean, right. uh, kept it most of it to himself, but what's just your take on him specifically? Uh, I, th I think, he, I think he's a, I think he'll be a definitely up. I think he'll have to do a great job at Memphis. Um, he's definitely, I think, a hot up and comer coach. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in three, four, five years if he's either a major defensive coordinator somewhere at a bigger program or, you know, a head coach if he wants to step in that direction. Yeah. Um, I've got to know him a little bit. Great guy, not a huge talker, but can have conversations about anything um, when you do. But I, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be so, I was kind of bummed we had to let him go, but I understand Buckeye Nation and the pressure that day is on under. And uh, I, I've been telling buddies, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do a great job when the horses aren't the stable. Like people would be shocked. At, I was shocked. I think I said this at, at the Michigan game. I tweeted it. It's just very shocking how the lack of talent we had on the defensive side of ball this year. You know, a lot of it's inexperienced, but we just didn't have any dudes. And he had to try and figure it out with what he had. And I, I think he's going to have a lot of success moving forward. Yeah, when you uh, – the Rose Bowl, uh, uh, Steel Chambers, Cade Stover, I think started – both of them started a linebacker in that game. You know, neither one of them was a linebacker this time a year ago. Cade Stover has defense in his background. Obviously, Steel Chambers does too. But uh, that just shows you how they were trying to make uh, – you know, chicken soup, you know what I mean? Uh, right. Without a lot of stock, I think is the best right. way of putting it, right? <laughs> exactly. But anyway, hey, uh, Jake Bowder, appreciate you again, man. And uh, I got to get in one of those two-man deer stands with you one of these days, man, just to kind of <laughs> uh, document the situation. And 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 people don't understand, uh, I'm also going to try to help, quote, manage you on a long driving tour. We're going to get that set up. But you're you're feeling pretty good about that right now, aren't you? I am, but I haven't got any swings in a while, so I need to get yeah. on indoors, indoor spots and get some swings in. Hey, that could be our excuse for having uh, telling our wives you've got to go to spring training, you know, down in Florida, get to, you know a couple of weeks, you know what I mean, to get everything tuned up. But uh, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I got you. Well, you know, all I know is I've seen you hit the ball in a simulator before, and I feel it's one of the few times in life you feel sorry for a simulator, you know, because the oh my goodness, you know. When you can hit a ball so hard, it hits the screen of the simulator and it hits the wall behind the screen. You've got something going for you, don't you? You got to you got to feel you pretty good there, right? Yeah, we'll just see how it comes this year when I start making the tours. If I can, if I can get to any tournaments. Yeah, just reminded me of when you were talking about that uh, twelve gauge slug a while ago. You know, fired out of the shotgun, man. Uh, the power there is obvious, but uh, we'll talk about that on another day. Uh, Jake Ballard, once again, thanks for joining me, my man. Thanks for having me.
Man, I always appreciate having big Jake Ballard on here, man. When I'm, when I'm managing him on the long driving tour, we're going to make some waves. I just know it. Uh, you know, he's like, he's like our buddy, Will Crawl, man. When he hits a golf ball, the golf ball knows it, but knows about it. Right. Yeah. I haven't really got to, I've only um, seen a couple of social media clips and then heard the secondhand exploits from when you and Ballard are out there playing uh, some scrambles and cleaning up, winning all the money around Columbus. But I, I've got to, yeah. I've got to see it. Cause uh, I mean, I, I play my fair share of events too. I, if, I'd love to see, like, maybe let's get Stoney and uh, Will and Ballard out there, and when they really connect. Um, now, I know from two of those three that it might not always go where it needs to go, but it, it's going really far no matter which direction. Who? Wait a minute. Who are you guessing it goes where it's supposed to go? Who are you guessing on that? Jake? No. Well, it doesn't always go where it's supposed to go. Yeah, I know Will, Will doesn't play enough anymore to find yeah. that consistency, and that's – why he doesn't want to pick up the club a lot. Stoney, man, uh, it's it's 75% of the time pretty good with that. Yeah. Uh, finding the fairway with the driver, and it is crazy long. But uh, So maybe all three of them. I just didn't want to speak for Ballard uh, with the directional aspect. But I guess when you're swinging that hard, any mistake is magnified. So it's going to be hard to be perfect all the time. Hey, before we jump into it, this is what drives me nuts about a guy like Jake, though, because this is what I love about him, too. Uh, he could dial it back 20% and hit the ball over 300 routinely. But I give it up to him, man. It's like Ben Hogan said, take your swing, man. Take your swing at the ball. And, you know, and, uh, and he does it. Boy, when he, when he connects, uh, you can ask my buddy uh, Moose Spawn, Paul Spawn, when he connects, or Dave Holmes, when he connects sweetly, man, that ball goes. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch because, you know, you think you're playing pretty well, and then you step up there. I mean, I hit the ball pretty good for a 67-year-old, pretty pretty far. I even won a long driving contest this year for seniors in this at this one scramble. But uh, it's just another realm, man. When a guy hits it 100 yards farther than you, 150 yards farther than you do in some cases, you you played for those guys. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you hit the ball a long way yourself. Well, nah, nah. I don't know. You, about hit, you hit it from the wrong side of the ball. That's your problem. <laughs> well, I just I know that it's a different game. When when Stoney connects and is in the fairway, and we're looking at having a seven yep. iron into par fives, and I'm used to having the a, a full go at a three wood. I mean, it's yeah. a the game changes completely for them. Um, now, when you swing that aggressively, a lot of times it doesn't quite translate. When you do get that seven iron in your hand, and that's where I come in to help these guys out. And I love when I. That's why I prefer these days scramble, uh, two man scramble, four man scramble, whatever. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you're playing against these guys. That gets tough. That's a little bit uh, – Oh, yeah. A little bit emasculating to have to follow that up. You're either playing with them or against them. Hey, man, have them on your side, right? Hey, speaking of that, I, you know, I wanted to say this before I forget about it, man. It, you know, as we record this, it's Martin Luther King Day again. And, uh, and I, I just – think back when I was growing up in Alabama back in the 50s and 60s and uh, just what that man meant. And, you know, I once had to write a term paper, not a term paper. We had to just write a, like a little paper one time in junior college when I was in Lufkin, Texas and uh, name, name a hero or heroes of yours growing up. And I said, uh, well, my heroes growing up were Martin Luther King Jr. and Joe Namath. And, uh, and I said, the reason you had to be there, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I think I got a B on that because she didn't like my writing, but that's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> but the but the point was, man, growing up in Alabama, 
in the mid sixties, we moved to Texas when I was 11 years old in 65, but the things I saw and heard, and you know, you were proud of this football team and yet you weren't proud of all this other stuff that was going on around. And yet you knew there were, there were these people that were trying to make a difference. And Martin Luther King Jr. was definitely one of those, the guts that man had, the bravery he had, forget about his eloquence, speaking, et cetera. And, uh, and basically the peaceful demonstrations that he pushed, uh, Think about the difference he made, uh, Austin, because we watched that national championship game the other night, you know, uh, Georgia and Alabama. Neither one of those had a had an African-American player until the early 70s. Right. Neither one of those. And now look at them. They celebrate the African-American college football player. It's crazy how far things have come, how far those programs have come once they, you know, once everybody embraced the idea that all men are created equal, just give me a shot, you know? And yep. uh, it's, to me, it's just, it kind of gives me a goosebumps every time I think about the bravery shown by Martin Luther King Jr. and many others in that time. I mean, Selma, Alabama was only 50 miles east of where I grew up in Demopolis, Alabama on, on U.S. Highway 80. And, uh, you know, my, all my kid folks were in the Tuscaloosa, Birmingham area. And just all the stuff that went on uh, back then was just crazy and just, to see where we are now, yeah, we've got a tremendous distance still to go. But to see where we are now, it's stark to me. Yeah, and I think that um, it's it's well worth uh, remembering that, especially in the context that you bring it up in, in our realm, how far uh, you know athletics has come and how important that is. If we say this a lot, like and we said this during COVID, like yeah, I mean the world could could move on without sports, but it it affects so many lives and it's so important for uh, so many people. And some of the impetus for change comes from that. And uh, that's not to shift the, the tone of appreciation for Martin Luther King to that, but you know, that's going to be a reflection. Like so many people see uh, you know, those African-Americans succeeding at such a high level. And uh, a lot of that wouldn't have been possible without some of the things that were going on and the, the brave bravery that was shown in the sixties. And we're talking about, uh, just making the speech, that takes a, a huge amount of uh, stones to do that. But it's also, when you listen to the content of it, one of the greatest, I think, uh, that's ever been delivered. Um, yeah. If you remove even, you just read it and not understand where and how and, and why that it was being given. Um, just incredible, uh, incredible message, incredible eloquence, well-written, well-delivered, well-spoken all of it. I mean, it's one of the greatest speeches, uh, one of, and certainly one of the most famous speeches of all time, and deservedly so. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting to me. I always tell my, you know, my, I've only got one brother left now. I used to have three, but they were all huge Alabama fans. And, uh, and it's just really my baby brother, Tony's ba my baby brother, he's 64. <laughs> but, uh, but, it's just amazing to me that Alabama football, as far back as it goes, and national championships involved the Bear Bryant era and stuff. It didn't have a uh, a Heisman Trophy winner until Mark Ingram, you know, and they're all of their Heisman Trophy winners today have been African American. That just tells you a lot, you know. It just I think it just puts an exclamation point on how far things have come in that realm. But you know, let's move on uh, past that. Uh, we talked. We, the preface was Ryan Day taking a swing at this tree man with his axe. Sometimes you got to chop things down. Uh, before you can build that new log cabin. I think that's what he's looking for defensively. We saw him do this. There's an example of things being changed overnight 
is the wrong term, over a season defensively. When he first took the job, you know, Greg Schiano was out. Jeff Halfley came in. Uh, Ryan hired two coaches from Michigan. Are you kidding me? You know, uh, boom. They went from one of the worst defenses in the country in 2018 to, to arguably one of the top five defenses in the country under the direction of Jeff Halfley. Uh, this yeah. thing has happened before. It can happen again. Do you get the sense that with uh, Perry Eliano, uh, with uh, Tim Walton, and of course with new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, that this thing can be fixed in essence immediately in terms of, of football talk? Yeah, and I think that some of the improvement was going to occur naturally. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about how much inexperience Ohio State had. Well, just about any scheme with more experience is going to be more successful, and these guys are going to have another year in the weight room and, and all those factors that were going to lead to some improvement. But if you're able to come in and uh, clearly coach this and, and maximize what, what can be a complex scheme, which is similar to what I was thinking about, you know, some of the Jeff Halfley conversations when you bring up his name there and how rapid that transformation was like he always said, Oh, I don't think that our scheme is that hard. And uh, we try to make it simple for them to understand. But when you're able to run a variety of things that, um, you know, players are able to comprehend and execute, well, that makes you that much more difficult, um, you know, to prepare for and play against for offenses. And look, I mean, Jim Knowles and, and Eliano and Walton and, and then Larry Johnson returning, they're still going to have to get these results and they're going to have to teach it. They're going to have to make sure that they understand it, and those guys are going to have to play really hard. But I would think with a, a large number of veterans now returning, and you have Tanner McAllister helping as part of that in the secondary coming in from Oklahoma State, and Zach Harrison will be back um, after that announcement over Friday. You got you have players at all, all three levels that understand what it takes to play um, at a high level, what it's going to take to get to a championship level and beyond. And then if you factor in, you know, maybe more schematic improvements or different fundamental emphasis on tackling or, or whatever. I don't know what specifically it's going to be under Knowles. You know, I think we can have a pretty good guess, but where will the biggest strides be, be made? I, I don't know. Um, I know that he's delivered them at Duke and at Oklahoma state, and now he's going to have more talent at his disposal than he ever has before. So, you know, I don't know how far up that, that number is going to go, but I, I, don't, I think it's reasonable to expect that, that it should be significant. Yeah. You know, and uh, Jake and I talked about a few of those, like, differences defensively that you could see, you know, with that stand-up Leo and uh, moving around and, you know, just all these little schemes he came up with in the yeah. Big 12 to confound Big 12 offenses. I mean, that just the thing, the thing that stands out to me about Jim Knowles is uh, <clears throat> he wants – the offense to be defensive. He wants the offense to be going back after every possession going, well, wait a minute. Now we figured this out, but now they're doing this, you know, uh, and you can do that by just moving a couple of guys around, <laughs> you know, just, you know, th that's what they've got going for them, which they had with Jeff Halfley, which you and I both talked about. We both wrote about back then, you know, <laughs> offensively and defensively, there wasn't a, there wasn't a team in the country making adjustments as the game went on, forget about, hey, we'll get to halftime. We'll get this figured out while we're sucking on our orange slices. You know what I mean? There were, like, defensive adjustments going on. There were As the game went on, Halfley was up in the box. You know, we'll see where Jim Knowles ends up. But uh, Halfley was up in the box. He was he – was, they were adjusting as on the fly. And that, to me, is the dynamic you want at Ohio State. Uh, uh, you, I think you agree, right? I mean, last year it just seemed like – 
the adjustment almost didn't come till the next week or something, or maybe yeah. two weeks from now. You know, I mean, it was like, and that's not knocking anything because I don't, as Jake pointed out, Matt Barnes was kind of handed, wow, hey, fix this mess. Do it now, you know, kind of like walking into a hotel room that's been blown asunder and you got to get it ready for the next guest, you know, in two hours. You know, it's hard to do. And uh, not that I've ever done that, but I appreciate the people that do. But uh, back in the time of Guns and Roses and stuff, you know where I'm going with that. But anyway, uh, but it, it is interesting because I think I think that's where this defense is going again. Do you agree? Yeah, and and I would say that, that part of it in this Every time I say it, it sounds like excuse making. I think it's just a reality. Ohio State was too slow and, and maybe too stubborn to make adjustments, but that's harder to do yeah. when you don't have players with that base of knowledge. And that's why I say, like, some of this improvement, if the staff had stayed completely the same, I, I, I believe this strongly. Maybe Ohio State would not be a top 10 defense with that group of coaches. Maybe, you know, it was justified to make the moves that were made. I'm not, I'm not suggesting at all that they weren't. I think yeah. it was pretty clear that it wasn't working the way Ryan Day wanted, which is why these changes happened. I'm just saying that it, when you're dealing with that level of inexperience, it's, you don't have, all right, well, let's go to this. Remember when we ran this against this team, we're going to put that, we're going to dial that up. Like th that blitz, remember, we haven't run it in, in six weeks, but we need to do that again. Like, if you're not repping it, and if you haven't guys who've done it in, in a game, you can't just say it's not like Madden. Like, all right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna abandon yeah. this thing and I'm gonna go do this in the middle of it. I mean, that makes it easier, right? When it's a yeah. video game, but when it's real life, you don't just you don't have the whole playbook available. You don't you're not gonna be able to make dramatic scheme changes within the game, especially if the if the guys don't knew it, don't know it and they can't execute it. Now, like obviously it's not to the level of Ohio State and Alabama in the title game where you saw that stuff and you just, there was no way it was ever going to work, but that was all, the, that was the best they thought they could do. Yeah. They had more players available to them last year. And you would have thought that you'd see more of that diversity. And I think for a lot, you know, in the middle of the stretch of that season, Penn state and Nebraska, maybe we were seeing that, but it, it wasn't certainly wasn't good enough when you got to a more level playing field and on the road in the snow against Michigan. And there's no real debating about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now if you have that in your back pocket, because this staff gets to come in, they've got a full offseason and they've got veteran players who have some experience now in the 425 and what Jim Knowles may be running. It's not going to be identical, but, you know, there's going to be familiarity there that Ohio State can build off of. And I think that's that's a really significant part to, to keep in mind. Yeah. And let's face it, the linebacker um, linebacker. We talked about this last week. The linebackers just the linebacker room was just a mess this year. I mean, because you had guys who. You thought we're going to step up. Remember, and I was pursuing that kind of thing, and uh, and uh, uh, and uh, 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 Al Washington basically sort of poo pooed a little bit. Uh, just because a guy's been around long, and you said this too, just because a guy's been around long time doesn't mean right now. You know, he's been patient doesn't mean all of a sudden now he's the guy. You know, right. and uh, that really hit some of those guys sideways, and it turned out some of those guys weren't the guy. You know, right. definitely. And then you look at the group they were working with at the end of the year. You know, Taraji Mitchell's a captain, whatever, you know, he's not he's not even starting, hardly playing. And, you know, he's the guy that sort of had the quarterback in his in his midst, but let him go on that fourth and one in the in the Rose Bowl and stuff. Of course, he was being held on that play, but who cares, right? It didn't get called. But but the point was it just did, didn't work. I mean, at the end of the year, you've got Cade Stover and uh, Steel Chambers starting at linebacker in the Rose Bowl. Two guys who weren't linebackers a year ago this time. 
and you're just going, wow. But like you, like you keep pointing out, though, Jim Knowles is benefiting from the fact that a lot of guys got thrown into the fire this year, learned on the job, and he's going to benefit from that experience, both good and bad. But, you know, what really stands out to me is even with, when I asked Steel Chambers about what Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, said about them being, you know, not physical enough, whatever he goes, well, you know, he was telling the truth in that game. Uh, there is a self-awareness there by these guys that they weren't good enough, right? And that that really helps you when you're coming in and making some changes as opposed to you're walking in a room, well, it wasn't us, it was them, you know, it was the coaches. No, it was everybody. Well, and, and that's probably more important than what I'm going to say is that the players take accountability of that. But if Ryan Day doesn't as well, yeah, then you're not ever going to get it fixed and take it to the next level. And he – he recognized that. This goes back to the to your whole premise here. Yeah. It, there was a, I don't know, a belief that because of the way he handled the last two years with, you know, Kerry Combs with a limited sample size, but bringing him back and then having the patience and, and writing off 2020 as a weird year, which it was, you know, Matt Barnes um, promoting Parker Fleming, you know, I, I, there was just this, this sense, and I, I, I know because – I read it all the time on the message boards at Letterman Row that <clears throat> Ryan Day wasn't making these aggressive hires. And it sort of really sparked in my mind when you talked about Al Washington and Greg Madison initially and the aggressive move to go across the rivalry to bring in two coaches. Like, we're still dealing with a very small sample size. So if you're going to give, if you're going to deal with the last two years and say that that wasn't aggressive enough, you should probably remember the difficult situation he was in and the remaking that he had to do for year one and those yeah. moves he made and how how well they worked. I don't think he anticipated that Jeff Halfley would only be around for one year. And that kind of disrupted a lot of that flow and continuity that he may have wanted means he made a great hire and he's having to do this more significantly than he's had to, or felt the need to from the previous two cycles. So we'll see if he gets it right again. Yeah. If if Knowles is really on that Halfley type level, if, if Eliano can have that same impact that he had at Cincinnati in a couple of years, which was really, really good yeah. uh, with Sauce Gardner and, and Kobe Bryant um, and Walton, Tim Walton, who's going to understand how to sell Ohio State better than just about anybody from wearing that uniform, uh, you know, being at both levels uh, and winning some rings and championships. Um, you know, that, we can't make a verdict on that. I would just say that this was a reminder that that guy from the first year who did whatever it took to bring in the people that he felt were best suited for Ohio State at that time. I think he, I mean, he's, he has no choice but to try and do that again. And it's, he wasn't willing to stay put and stand pat or just hire people that he already knows because these three people on defense, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, there's no, so he, he's, he's gone outside here to try and get it fixed. Yeah. That is interesting. You know, when I have a chance to talk with Ryan, I'm, I'm really curious to know. And you may know this already, uh, but uh, how much did Knowles have any input on these two hires he made? Because these two hires, you know, are interesting to me because one is a legacy, almost a legacy hire with Tim Walton. I remember covering him as a player. Always liked it. He was one of those go-to guys you'd go to and get quotes from because you knew he knew what the heck was going on. I'm talking about had an awareness of what was going on in the field. You know what I mean? Things like that. I really liked dealing with him as a player. Uh, we'll see how it is as a coach, you know, and, uh, and then Eliano, I mean, uh, you know, his, 
I think his recent record speaks for itself. Plus, he's been around. I mean, people are talking about, I was, you know, he's coached in Ohio before. But, I mean, you know, his background of being from Texas and stuff, I think, bodes well from a recruiting standpoint, along with everything else. He knows where the back roads are in Texas, man. He lived in Nacogdoches for four years at least. You know what I mean? That's just right up the road from Lufkin. Those are back roads. <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, it's not that bad. But uh, but my point is, uh, you know, I'm – I get the sense that Ryan, you know, had as much to do with those guys being hired as being as being those guys being pointed out to him by Knowles. Do you agree? Yeah, I, w- I would say that that process had to be collaborative because yeah. if if Brian Day is going to trust that everything is in position on that side of the ball, so he, he can be hands off, then he needs to, you know, he needs to build some of that trust in the interview process. He needs to be working hand in hand with Knowles to make sure that that's in place and he's not going to have to worry about it. So he needs that familiarity with what those guys can bring. And I think the, the reason that you look at this and say that it couldn't have just been purely Knowles is that they aren't, it's not, he didn't just bring in people from Oklahoma state or just bring in people from Duke. Now there are some, you know, options for analysts and quality control people that are coming yeah. from there with experience in general system. That's, that's a fact. And they'll all be, you know, confirmed in due time. But, you know, when they're looking at these other two spots in the secondary and they, uh, I know of five, I think, interviews, and there may have been more, uh, probably were, but I, the, the pool of candidates were not, all right, let's find people who have only worked with Jim Knowles or yeah. only know his system. That wasn't the situation. So they both got together on this and found people that fit. And you know, I think that that's, that's a pretty good sign um, about the early parts of the Knowles Day sort of partnership here. Yeah, and Eliano, you know, uh, he coached two quarterbacks at, at Cincinnati that are, are going to be high-round draft picks, you know? Yep. I mean, so he knows how to get that done, even though, what, he's going to coach safeties. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. Uh, yeah. But uh, – and then Tim Walton, you know, I'm talking about, you know, you're think, talking about, you know, replacing Kerry Combs, you know, and the – uh, obviously the first round draft picks he coached, et cetera, his ability to recruit and stuff. But, you know, you're replacing him also with a guy, Tim Walton, who not only, you know, knows what it takes to get to the league. He's coached in the league for years. He knows, he knows what it, you know, what, what is expected of players at that level. Uh, and, and I think that brings an instant respect in that room, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball with the defensive backs. Hey, this is a guy, who's been coaching where we want to get to, wow, we're going to listen to this guy, right? Yeah, and I think that I would would be remiss if we didn't bring this up as well. Like when Kerry Combs, you know, and everybody involved makes this decision that they're going to go uh, different ways, it shouldn't be dismissed how much Kerry Combs gave to Ohio oh, yeah. State and, and his value. And I think that because it didn't work out with the coordinator role, it became a little bit, overlooked how significant it was going to be to replace him because in the end you're talking about the streak of first round NFL cornerbacks, the, the, the success on the recruiting trail that was still ongoing. Um, and he was a key part of that, um, you know, until 10 days ago or so um, the passion that he had for the program that was unmistakable anytime the energy you're like, well, gosh, I'm sitting here thinking about, well, that's, that's going to be hard to replace every part of that. Yes, and I don't know. If, I don't know if Tim Walton can, but you do now have an alum coming in who's going to have understood um, 
and, and be able to have that passion for Ohio State that's unmatchable. As you said, he's worked with NFL cornerbacks. We'll see, you know, just how much success he, he has developing them to get there, but he will certainly understand what that takes at that position. Ties to Florida and Georgia, aside from being familiar with Columbus and the state of Ohio. So a lot of the box boxes that Kerry checked to great success over the years, well, Tim Walton has that as well. So I think they did about as well as they could when you're talking about some of the intangible parts for what Kerry Combs brought to that, that unit and that position. Um, again, all of this is new. It's a, a couple days old, so you can't make a sweeping judgment one way or the other. But, I mean, it there also should be, uh, and I'm not saying that there's not from everybody, but appreciation for what Kerry Combs did and, you know, how big the shoes that leaves for Tim Walton to replace if he's going in there to work with cornerbacks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I told uh, Kerry Combs a couple of weeks ago, I said, you're a, you're an iconic figure. I mean, because I've never seen anybody before who was who could you could literally put in Kerry Combs' uh, niche and go, that guy's just like that guy. No, he's unlike anybody I've ever been around. He reminds me of a fusion reactor, you know, just a self-contained, uh, just energy all the time and stuff. And, yeah. you know, you wish him nothing but the best. I mean, I know I do. Uh, etc. I wanted to ask you this real quirky here before we go. Obviously, it was learned over the weekend that uh, Al Washington Jr. is being hired by Notre Dame. Great landing spot for him uh, as defensive line coach, it looks like, and run defense run defense coordinator. Say run game coordinator, but that sounds like he's on the <laughs> offense. Right. Run defense coordinator. And this, this is just a facetious comment, okay? Uh, but he's been named run defense coordinator for Notre Dame. And we saw Ohio State's run defense in games that really mattered this year. And I'm just going, well, wow, if he had the answers, why didn't he let somebody know about them? You know, I mean, and I'm being facetious, obviously, but uh, Marcus Freeman is mining that Ohio State uh, situation about as well as you can, right? But uh, did the same question pop into your head? Well, wait a minute. If he had the answers – why didn't they come forth? I think it, to me, it because of what's been going on with Marcus Freeman and the conver- the public comments and the private um, interviews or offers or wh- whatever, Notre Dame has been obsessed with Ohio State for the yes. last six weeks or so since Brian Kelly left. And I, I just, I find it amusing. A, a little bit because, you know, I, I think anybody would want to copy the success of this program that we talked about, but you're not going to be able to lift it and place it in South Bend and just have the same success. Like I have, you know, most of the staff returning has had the, the phone ring in a South Bend area code pop up on their screen. He Marcus Freeman has been trying very aggressively I don't know if it's to mess with Ryan Day, if it's to truly just think that he can bring the success of Columbus over and input all that knowledge and wisdom and then it'll work for them. I don't know what it is. I know that that trend exists. And it's just funny because they play each other in the opener. And I don't know why you would want to, I don't know, take that, poke that bear. Oh, um, you stole my line. Remember when I asked Jim Harbaugh that one time? Eat the, the snake, uh, wrap he it whatever. He said he, I, get, he didn't get animal analogies. He had just used the term uh, about his team being an anaconda. 
You know, that was the year before. But go ahead. Go ahead. You're exactly right. What? What's going on, man? What do you think is going on? I just think it's. I don't know any other. I'm. I'm. I don't know any other word. I'm just amused by it. You know, it's. Um. Because I don't. I know Marcus. I've known him for a long time, just like you have, and I. I'm very intrigued by what he's going to do there, and I'm certainly ready for September third. Uh, to get back out there and see another game with what's going to happen with the next season a lot. I'm going to enjoy spring ball as well. I don't want to yeah. fast forward through all that, but there's just a lot going on here that you you wonder exactly why that is because a lot of first-time coaches are not looking to just go through one lane and, uh, you know, everything has been so focused on Ohio State. I find that odd. Yeah. yeah. I don't – I'd like – I'd like to keep digging at that, and I'm sure that we will by the time September rolls around. Well, it's no, it's no secret that he came after Brian Hartline, and I understand. I mean, I understand. I mean, Brian Hartline is not only a hell of a coach, he's a hell of a recruiter. Just don't call him a recruiter to his face, right? <laughs> he's a relationship builder. But uh, uh, there were, com- there were com- I mean, Kerry Combs yeah. has been contacted by Notre Dame, Brian Hartline, Tony Alford. Uh, you know, as an option to go back there. James Laurinaitis, you already got a piece of that, and he hired Al Washington. Yeah. That's that's five right there. Yeah. Um, I mean. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There may, and, there may, and there may be another one. I just don't want to – I don't want to say it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I know what you're talking about. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I guess September 3rd we're going to find out, man. It's going to be fun, uh, you know. Uh you know, I, I don't know what buoys you more, a coaching change, and then you take a big lead in a bowl game and then blow it, or a situation where a coach is going to make some big changes. Uh, you get behind in a bowl game, you come back and win with one of the great offensive performances in bowl, heck, in college football history. I would think one team is riding a wave, and the other team might have already gone over that wave. I don't know. We're, we're going to find out on September the 3rd, right? Yeah. I, yeah. That's There's going to be incredible hype for this opener. I, I just I'm so excited already. Yeah, me too, man. Hey, but you know what? We'll just keep it in check. We've got a bunch of these podcasts to do between now and then. And uh, awesome. Thanks for joining in, joining me in my brand new cockpit, even though yours looks exactly the same. Uh, I appreciate you once again on the Tim May podcast, man. Uh, you know how much I admire you. I'm going to blow smoke, you know, here for a little while. Wow. You know how much I admire you, uh, et cetera. And I appreciate you joining me again, my man. My pleasure. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Austin Ward. I don't call him awesome anymore, but I should. But for Austin Ward, he keeps breaking stories out there. This is Tim May. We'll see you then. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.